This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Nursing and Preventive Medicine at UMC. And today I've got with me Kathy Warwick. She is a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator and just an all-around fantastic person who I always enjoy having on the show. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. And today we're going to be talking about fact versus fiction with nutrition. And the reason I wanted to do this show today is, you know, we've just had Thanksgiving. I know. And so I hope... <laughs> Everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving, got to spend some time with their family or friends and enjoy some good food because that is the point of food is to eat what's good for you, but enjoy, enjoy it as well. And I know some of us probably enjoyed it a little too much. Um, you know, I uh, just got back from a week in Disney World. And so, um, you know. I'm not going to lie. I had a Mickey-shaped treat or two while I was there, but I enjoyed every single bite of it while I was doing it. But now, And you walked a lot. I did. The first day, we walked 24,000 steps. There you so, go. So, you know, I definitely walked off my, my Mickey ice cream. But... Um, you can eat healthy at Disney World. I would you like can. I would like to point that out that you can. And they have and changed the menu. They have changed the menu, and that and some of it is almost um, you have to pick something unhealthy. You, you know, it's the the majority of the things are, are healthy options, so it can be done. Um, but this is the time of the year where folks start to maybe plan what kind of diet they're going to adopt after after the holiday season is over with, and there's just yep. so much information out there about diets and ways to eat that it can be very, very overwhelming for anyone. Um, And you need some help kind of culling through it and what is just bad science and or has no science behind it uh, and what is actual good good nutrition. So we're going to do some some fact versus fiction today. So if you guys have um, kind of a burning question about whether something is is for real or not, we would love to talk with you today. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. So I know you brought some some fact versus fictions for us to go through today, and I've got some with me as well. So I'm going to start out with just a really easy one, but it's a probably a question I get asked the most in clinic is about vegetables. And the, the question is, is it true that fresh vegetables are better for you than canned or frozen? Oh, that's one of my favorite subjects. Um, it's not true that we have to spend double the money on only fresh or only organic or only, you know, locally grown produce to get the nutritional value. So um, one of my favorite things is if it's, you know, canned, frozen, dried, whatever form it's in, you still get that nutritional value. Now, probably my favorite is to tell people that, um, you know, been out in California before and watched them harvest Brussels sprouts one Mm -hmm. day and they actually wash them there in the field put them through a conveyor and up into a flash freezer so 
think about that. That's no different from me having a garden in my backyard, me picking my little veggies out of the backyard, rinsing and maybe blanching them and then freezing them. That's just about as fresh as you're going to get. And also freezing, you know, tends to preserve more of the nutrition or the color and that, that kind of thing than perhaps canning. But all in all, fresh, frozen, canned, all of those are great. If I eat Brussels sprouts, let's say, that had to come all the way from California on a truck, and they've been in the grocery store for a few days before I buy them, and then they sit in my refrigerator for another three or four days until I get around to cooking them, you can lose a lot of nutritional value just because of the time that's involved there between the picking and the actual eating of them. So you may do better with those veggies that have been frozen Mm -hmm. or even the canned without extra salt added. That's the key right there. That's the one you got to look for. You got to make sure if anything's been added to the product, if you're going to buy something that's shelf stable or or frozen. And you can rinse canned vegetables as well um, to get rid of the majority of that extra sodium. But uh, when there's a hurricane or a <laughs> when you're out of electricity for a little while it is nice to have those shelf stable cans and canned fruit and that kind of thing is is always a good option for a good snack if yeah you well it's just it it's, yeah. it helps get dinner on the table in a quick fashion as well and so you know i mean i usually my staples in the that are canned are, are beans. You know, mm-hmm. I keep uh-huh. a ton of beans um, in my cabinet because you can do so many different things with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can puree them up and make a dip out of them, you know, for last minute company who's coming over. Um, you can put them in chili and just do a veggie chili, chili. with, mm-hmm. um, you know, three beans in there. You can toss them in a salad. It's a great way to add protein to that salad without fiber. adding, without adding uh, an animal-based product to it. You're not having to put a, a lunch meat or something on top of your salad to get that protein in there. So beans, I probably have one of every type of bean going on in my cabinet And right they now. actually now have reduced sodium mm-hmm. versions of the black beans mm-hmm. and the black-eyed peas and the pinto beans and that kind of thing to choose from as well. Yeah. And you can just like you mentioned, you go ahead and, and I rinse even the low sodium varieties. You know, I drain them and rinse them um, because we do know that, you know, when we're talking sodium, we're talking about stuff that comes from packaged products. You know, 75 to 80 percent of the salt that we have in our diet is from a packaged product. Exactly. It's not from what we're cooking with. But then we know. do add it. But then we add cooking. some more. Right. So then it was a double whammy. So I think the, the, the little fun fact that I like to give in class is... Um, you know, we say we're trying to eat somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe three to four a thousand milligrams of sodium. You know, we're trying to stay in that range for the day. And when you talk about one teaspoon of regular table salt has twenty four hundred mm-hmm. milligrams, you can see how just adding a little here and adding a little there could really right. make the sodium go up go up right and and so just being aware and being able to read the label and i get the question all the time how much sodium are we supposed to eat Mm -hmm. and so they don't recognize that when you look at a canned asparagus and it says 390 milligrams of sodium that that's also per serving Serving. and there's two and a half three and a half servings in a can Mm -hmm. you're talking about a thousand milligrams of sodium easily in a can of asparagus so in that case Fresh or frozen would be a better not option as right. far as sodium goes. But um, there are a lot of ways to kind of get around that 
and still keep your servings of fruits and vegetables at, at that recommended level. Right. And what is that recommended level for fruit? And well, you vegetables? know, we've gone round and round we about that, haven't we? <laughs> um, we used to say five a day, right. and, and then we went to seven or eight a day, and people weren't getting but one or two a day. Mm-hmm. And so that was overwhelming to think, right. I've got to get seven or eight. So we just say more is better. Right. right. <laughs> the more you can, if you can add a fruit or add a veggie, just like you said, with the beans added to a salad or added to a soup or added, or you can add even like we were talking about canned green beans or veggies Mm -hmm. to, to a different dish, Mm -hmm. just to throw of extra veggie in there. Anytime you add an extra veggie or fruit to your daily intake, um, and then we talked about teaching children. I, I teach them eat as many colors of mm-hmm. the rainbow. So the more you add and the more variety you have, the more nutrition you get. Mm-hmm. And the frozen fruit is a great way to get that. I in love there the frozen well. fruit. Because fruit is expensive, you know, and it mm-hmm. often doesn't have quite the shelf life that even some of the fresh vegetables have to them. You know, um, now an apple will last you a pretty good time, but a banana is going to go pretty quickly and there. strawberries tend to go back right. before we get to the bottom of the big container but you can always throw them in the freezer yes that's the tip there so if i buy them when they're on sale me too and what you do is you get a cookie sheet and you lay out a piece of parchment paper and you put each you don't let the berries clump all up together you put them individually and then sit them down in your freezer let them freeze hard that way and then you can take them off that cookie sheet put them in a bag and put them in the freezer and, and you, you can use there. one or two or you can use a big handful and if you're making a smoothie and you'd like to you know sweeten it and make it really nice and cold a handful of cold strawberries Mm -hmm. or even a banana or two that got too ripe that you froze Mm -hmm. you can throw a little of that in there with your greek yogurt and your low-fat milk Mm -hmm. and you can make a wonderful smoothie frozen way better than ice yeah frozen bananas actually whip up almost like an ice cream consistency so they make a very good way to add a creamy texture to mm-hmm. um, a smoothie even if you don't now I love Greek yogurt and I put it in but there are some folks who don't care for yogurt and they're still wanting that creamy consistency in their um, smoothie and the frozen banana is a great way to get that in there right. and get it whipped up and get that and creaminess. I have several people that tell me they they will do a better job of eating just a small handful of grapes if they have thrown them in the freezer mm-hmm. and then eat them sort of like they're a popsicle, yeah. you know, and the, and they, they put them in a little snack size Ziploc bag and just take that as a snack. And those little hints and tips, I mean, it doesn't take but 10 grapes to call that a, a, a fruit serving. Right. So you can add a fruit, add a veggie every day with, with really just an extra handful. I throw sp- raw baby spinach into smoothies as well and you don't know it's there Mm -hmm. if you don't see me do it (laughs) yeah we do that uh you know we uh, i go out to one of the elementary schools in town and do smoothies with them uh, a couple times uh every every semester for them in school and we did one a couple weeks ago we did pumpkin pie smoothie and so we added pumpkin to it uh, for their kind of veg fruit and banana and we added a scoop of oats to it as well and whipped it up um and and they they drank it, you know. Some of them were like, "What am I drinking? I'm, I'm not so <laughs> sure about this lady, but I'll try it." But the one that they love the most is the one I put spinach in, and I'll be doing that one next month because it's Christmas time and it's green, so we call it the Grinch smoothie mm-hmm. because it's green, and so it's got pineapple and spinach in it, and it whips up all nice and green. And the kids actually love that one; they think it's phenomenal. And the first couple times I made it, they looked at me crazy, like you're putting mm-hmm. spinach in that smoothie. What are you doing, lady? I, I'm not sure about that. 
that. Right. Yeah. And really, the parents are the ones that look at you the craziest. They're like, <laughs> no. And the kids are a little bit even a little more open to it. Um, but you don't taste it. You really, mm-hmm. you really don't. And it's just a quick way to get an extra serving of vegetables exactly. in there. Especially if you're not much of a breakfast eater. Mm-hmm. And if you tend to just eat a biscuit or sausage and you don't really get a breakfast that's got some fruit or balance it's a really good way to get your calcium because you've got some dairy in there and it's a really good way to get your fruits and veggies and yet it's drinking on the way to work Mm -hmm. simple yeah it's it's a it's a convenience breakfast and uh, so I encourage that a lot with people that aren't big quote breakfast eaters Those people think they have to eat this massive breakfast, and you just you you just really don't. And when we're talking a smoothie, we're not even talking a big smoothie either. You Mm -hmm. know, an eight ounce smoothie is is plenty uh, for you. So you know, most smoothie recipes make two servings. You don't have to drink all of that. You know, share it with somebody. I actually take the second half and freeze it, Mm -hmm. and then you can eat it later, like it's ice cream Mm -hmm. for a snack. You know, are right. You are right. So the deal with fruits and veggies is. You know, it can be daunting when you think about the sheer number of servings that you have to have. But what I encourage people to do, so my tip for that is just whatever you're at now, go up by one. So, you know, if you're eating three servings of vegetables a day, just concentrate on getting to four. And then once that becomes a habit, bump it up another one. But don't try and go from I eat two servings of fruits and vegetables a day to I eat seven or eight fruits and vegetables a day. It's not going to happen. It might happen for a week or two, but you're going to you're going to burn out on that. Mm-hmm. Just make a better choice than you did before. Exactly. So, and snacks like um, baby carrots. Um, I saw a cute idea on Pinterest where they took a canning jar, mm-hmm. like a, a, a jelly jar, and they poured a little bit of hummus or ranch dressing in the bottom. And then they had celery sticks and carrot sticks, mm-hmm. and they had stuck them in the jar, you know, standing up right. and then put your lid on and you can take that to work with you and then you've got your dip and your carrots and your celery and it's really a nice snack mm-hmm. i've also seen that with uh peanut butter a tablespoon of peanut butter in the bottom of a jar with the celery sticks to dip it out with so you can add a veggie as a snack that's cold and crunchy and easy to take with you as well that also makes a great party appetizer so if you're mm-hmm. looking for something you've got holiday parties coming up and you're looking for something um, that'll be a little healthier option to have out on the table um, getting those little restaurant clear plastic cups mm-hmm. and putting some hummus or even a little bit of ranch dressing don't go crazy but a little bit of something in the bottom and then putting cut carrots bell peppers celery something like that down in that and sitting that out on your buffet table is a great way for people to just be able to pick that cup up and have an easy to tote and eat crunchy healthy snack yeah. so when we come back from the break we're going to be talking about some more fact versus fiction with nutrition and we would love to talk with you today you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four we'll be back after the break This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And today my guest is Kathy Warwick. She's a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. And we're talking about nutrition myths and some of the facts that are out there as well and kind of helping folks sort through the uh, tons of information that's out there on the web about nutrition because there is a science to nutrition. There, There is just science that you can't argue with about some things. And we're trying to help folks uh, weed through the the mess that's out there about what's healthy and what's not. And so if you have a question, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. And so I started the show off with one of my uh, fact versus fictions, and uh, Kathy has brought one as well, and it's if you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't eat it. So is that fact or fiction? <laughs> well, there's a lot of folks who will say that with great conviction Mm -hmm. that if there's an ingredient on the label and you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't eat it. Now, you and I have talked plenty of times about um, processed foods and that there are typically, um, you know, in, in a lot of processed foods, and we're talking about things like, you know, cookies and instant easy to do, put together, quickie meal kind of ideas, or even frozen meals, there is more sodium a lot of times or more salt added. And there is more sugar added, perhaps. But not all processed foods and not all ingredients that you can't pronounce are necessarily bad for you. So uh, one of the ones I love is that people freak out over alpha tocopherol. And you and I have talked about that five times. (laughs) (laughs) And it's actually vitamin E. Um, It works as an antioxidant and actually is a wonderful preservative in food. So there are people out there that think if it has preservatives, preservatives are terrible for you. You know, they're, they're poison, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Vitamin E and vitamin C, which is actually (laughs) uh, in many, many products Mm -hmm. as a preservative. Vitamin C works really well, but it's ascorbic acid. Mm -hmm. And people read that and they think, ooh, I don't know what that is. Right. But they keep food from spoiling, which, um, you know, when we talk about food dollars and getting the most for your money at the grocery store, we certainly prefer that things don't go bad or go stale or, or get moldy then we have to throw them away or we've just wasted all our food dollars there so a lot of these preservatives that people are afraid of tend to be some form of salt or some form of an antioxidant and the government has tested all of those additives to see if they're safe Mm -hmm. and they are all listed on the generally recognized as safe list of of things that you can eat so there's no need to be afraid of those. What the big picture would be, and you and I have talked about this, is is really go and read the nutrition facts mm-hmm. label to see if that particular food is a good source of protein. Is it a good source of your other vitamins and minerals or calcium that you need in your diet? How much sodium is in there per serving? Mm-hmm. That might be a better way to compare and choose Perhaps something that's, quote, processed. You know, in my diabetes classes, we compare two boxes of crackers or two boxes of cookies, or we look at breakfast cereal. And we're not looking at those little tiny last ingredients listed there, because if they're last, they're in the teeniest amount. What we're looking at is the total amount of nutrition that's there and how that stacks up with what your goals are for diabetes or for blood pressure or for cholesterol 
that's really more meaningful than saying I can't eat that because it has big words in it, a big word in the label, (laughs) (laughs) even if it's at the end of the ingredient list. Right, right. It's there in tiny amounts. That's a great tip there. And you can always Google those ingredients if you need, you know, to see what it is. All right. We've got a call from uh, Wayne in Long Beach. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning. How are y'all? We're great. great. How are you? I'm fine. I like those long words like lactobacillus vulgarius. That's a good one right there. That is a good one. <laughs> and that one's in your yogurt. A little cereal. Yeah. Uh, I want to add a couple of things. I was a professor of horticulture at Vegetable Crops for uh, more years than I want to, I want to mention. <laughs> All right. We'll let you off with that one. And uh, I taught organic gardening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I taught it for 21 years. And it was uh, really interesting, but I do not eat anything organic. It's overpriced, and it scares me to death. Well, and, and, and you know what so, I think Wayne is confusing to the general public is they imagine that if it says organic, then there were no pesticides used. There was nothing, you know, sprayed on those veggies or fruits. And that's not actually the case. It's a thing they agree with. It's not the. Uh, <laughs> it's not that they weren't sprayed. It's just what they agreed with. Uh, and one third of the organic produce is grown in greenhouses, and is commercially produced, just you know, like any other commercial production. So uh, I just don't. I just don't need it. But what I was going to tell you, you were talking about sodium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do eat French fries every once in a while. Not often. Well, everybody, well, most po- most folks do. <laughs> I go into a fast food place, and I ask them for French fries without salt. Mm-hmm. Don't even put them in the container. They have to make them fresh. There you go. Yep. You get fresh French fries. You don't get the ones been sitting up there 15 minutes. <laughs> that's true. You do get the fresh <laughs> ones. And, and that's right. I mean, they do salt those after they come out of the grease. So you're perfectly correct in asking for and, a non-salted batch it always always is fresh but uh i do enjoy uh the taste of food and not salt and i've got high blood pressure so i you know i do that a lot but uh it is it is really really good to uh to be able to eat you know fresh food and not just eat salt well and it's an acquired taste and what i tell patients is don't go cold turkey but you know, take a little salt shaker and put one teaspoon of salt in there and see if you can make that last all day. Mm-hmm. And then then the next week or two, put a half a teaspoon in there and then see if you can make that last all day. And if you wean yourself off of that salty taste, it's amazing how good your food does taste when you can really taste the food itself. Uh, lemon juice and mm-hmm. a few other things are so good. But uh, I won't take up any more of your time, but it is... Uh, Eat more vegetables. That's the only thing. <laughs> you well, are right. We're we're in total agreement with you on that, Wayne. <laughs> Thank you very much. You Thank have you a great for calling, day, Wayne. Thank you for Bye-bye. calling. And you know, just like he said, food tastes delicious when you get down to the actual food itself. Food, but we have been so conditioned to things that taste super salty or super sweet that or super fatty that when you start to cut some of those things out. It's not going to taste like you remember it's supposed to taste like. You know, if you've had somebody who cooks with a ton of salt or uses a lot of packaged products and you then you eat food that's not overly salted, you're going to go, this doesn't taste 
just right. Just right. But just like you said, it's an acquired thing. It has it, your taste buds have learned that, and just like they learned that this is supposed to taste salty, they can unlearn it too Mm -hmm. and that was the thing with the pumpkin smoothies the other day is they weren't overly sweet and so everybody was anticipating it to be like a milkshake right sweet and i'm like that you know this is actually the appropriate amount of sweetness that we should be consuming and so when we a lot of my diabetes patients will say that um you know they're newly diagnosed and so they kind of go cold turkey on the sugar (laughs) and um at first it's a real shock and it's hard and then they'll tell me that after a few weeks of having cut way back on their on their sugars that when they actually took a bite of pie at Thanksgiving or actually tried to eat their favorite candy bar again, just a bite or two, that it tasted so sweet that it was it was yucky. Yeah. Like they didn't even enjoy it like they thought they were going to. And so you you can get accustomed to it. And, and I think the trick is weaning yourself gradually and then substituting like fruit starts to taste extremely sweet when you've quit cookies and go to eating fruit for a snack fruit over time will start to taste really wonderful but it's just an acquired you know reacquired our natural you know i get it i'm a unsweet tea drinker like i love my tea unsweet i love the bitterness of it you know it's what i grew up drinking and restaurants don't often get it right when i order unsweet tea Mm -hmm. um especially if i'm running through a drive-thru and i'll get it and i'll pop my straw in and i'll take a big swig and (laughs) it'll be sweet and i swear i almost die i just sputter and you know because it's so sweet and so i get a lot of a lot of grief from folks who are like i don't know how you drink unsweet tea well to me it's delicious you know Mm -hmm. and it's just one of those things like people that drink black coffee oh yeah and, you know, I, I like mine with a little sugar in it. But I, you know, I'm sure that if I worked really hard at it, I could acquire right. the taste for black coffee because right. I love the way it tastes and smell. But it's a it's a habit. Yeah. A lot of our salting food is a habit. Mm-hmm. When we sit at the table, the salt shaker's there. We just pick it up and shake it and we don't even think. And so if we can get to the point where you're very aware of that, it makes a difference, yeah. too. Just taste your food first before you add that mm-hmm. extra salt to it. All right. We've got a call from Lisa in Clarksdale. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Um, I just tuned in, so maybe you've covered this. Sure. I am um, concerned about the proper feeding of my grandchildren, okay. my children <laughs> under 10, and my daughter and I kind of see things differently, okay. and I know it's science, so where do we go to find that out or, or speak to that, if you don't mind? Sure. There's a oh, lot oh, of... Oh, one more thing. Oh, go ahead. Picky eaters. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're speaking my language. Okay. I've got that nine and six-year-old, and yeah. it, you know, it's very easy to let it turn into a battle. Yes. But you got to remember that just kind of sets up a bad pattern when right. we when we fuss at them. Um, so, you know, my, my personal tip for that picky eater is I always serve one thing that I know they're going to eat, even if it may not be the healthiest food out there like if if it's going to be chicken nuggets now i try and get like the all white meat not pumped full of sodium chicken nuggets but we'll have those but i'm going to serve something healthy with it and you've got to at least try it before you move on last night we had to try sweet potatoes before we could have before we gave up right before we gave up (laughs) and he took one bite he didn't love it but you know it, it got him 
trying that. He also tried smoked turkey and thought that was the best thing ever. So that was a win for me last night. Um, but but it can be so incredibly difficult. Yeah. Kathy, what do you have? Well, I, I'm going to say that I was a new dietitian, fresh out of school. I didn't have any children of my own. I worked in a pediatric clinic, my granddaddy's pediatric clinic, and saw saw many children that, you know, moms were concerned because they had a repertoire of about three foods they would eat. And then I had my daughter who would actually eat anything that didn't eat her first. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm just such a wonderful dietitian. That's my success story right (laughs) there, you know. And then God humbled me with my second child who literally wouldn't eat a fruit or a vegetable at all. So I did lots of creative things like I made muffins Mm -hmm. with sweet potatoes Mm -hmm. and pumpkin and carrots and, you know, pureed other vegetables and put them into breads Mm -hmm. and did kind of weird popsicles and all kinds of other things to get fruits and veggies in him. Um, And he's still picky and, but he grew up big and strong and tall. And, you know, so we worry about a lot of the details there, but the truth is that as they get older, they will try new things on their own. But if you've got a headstrong child you're just asking, like Josie said, for sort of just a headbutting competition, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work yeah. to try to force them into that. So, good information. the the American The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Um, if you look that up, it's it, their website is Eat Right, which is really easy to remember. But if you go look up eatright.org, they have a wonderful section on there about children and feeding children and children's diets. And I think um, the, the, the issue that I have as I've gotten older and as I've seen lots of teenagers with eating disorders and other things that I think are really more concerning that you do, like Josie said, you offer some healthy foods, you hit the middle of the road, nothing real extreme. And we talk about food in terms of what nutrition you gather from that food, not whether it's a good food or a bad food or a, a high calorie food or that'll make you fat. We just don't use those good, right. bad terms <clears throat> with children because they can latch onto that. And then they can have a really unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. with food as they grow up. And I, I think what we look at is, you know, milk makes your bones strong or, you know, carrots make your eyes healthy. And we talk about eating the rainbow and we talk about fun and positive and what those different foods give your body that you need when you're growing. And so those conversations with children are really important when they're small to set up in their minds that there's not good food or bad food, but there are things that help me and make me grow. And then there are things that should be sort of treats Mm -hmm. that we just don't do as often. So I think the all or nothing approach with children is, is going to set you up for even teenagers or adults that don't really know a a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. with food yeah and we uh lisa we've got southern remedy has a a free uh nutrition program on our website there's one for adults and there's one for children uh there as well that talk about all of these things that we've talked about so if you go to mpbonline.org slash southern remedy you'll see a button uh, on there that says healthy living if you click on that it'll take you to the whole curriculum and you can print out just 
just the kids' stuff. You can print out the adult stuff. I would say print them out both because uh, it, kids need to see their uh, adults in their lives making healthy choices as well. And there's also a placemat that you can print. It, you print it out on an 11 by 17 piece of legal paper, um, and it, it has all of the Ed Said characters. So if your mm-hmm. uh, grandkids watch uh, you know PBS and see Ed Said, all of those characters are on there. And it teaches them about how to build a healthy, colorful plate. Um, and so those are some of the things that we start with when we're, when we're working with these kiddos. And we know that um, perhaps they're grownups who are watching their cholesterol or they have some heart disease in their family and that kind of thing. And I think the, the scary thing there is that they can tend to project onto a small child that they need skim milk and they don't need a bunch of extra fat and they don't need, you know, eggs and, and their diet and things like that. That's not appropriate for small children. Small children need the fat and they need healthy fat to make sure their brain develops normally and make sure their nerve uh, sheaths are healthy. And, you know, we we, fat's part of your your every cell membrane. So we we can't be restrictive, real restrictive with little people's diets either. Um, You know, as you grow older and get to 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 know your risk for heart disease and things like that you can make some healthy choices as you get older but little children really are not appropriate it's not appropriate to really restrict their diet with the little ones what i tend to push is what can we add to your diet instead of what can we take away because kids are going to eat macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets and and pizza they just are but you know what can we add to this to make it a healthier plate is how I approach it with kids so you know what can we add to this pizza that would make it healthier can we put some mushrooms on it can you know that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so it's it's more about pushing not pushing but more about offering uh healthier additions to it instead of saying this food's bad don't eat that Right. So so I don't know that, you know, the conflict kind of your 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 view of the diet and your daughters. But I've also learned now that I have grandchildren that it's better for me to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mean it that way, but you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's helpful when they're at your house. You can do some things that are positive and you can, you know, offer those extra foods that are healthy and things like that. But um, I do try not to to tell my daughter how to feed how her to, babies. Right. but um, Well, and don't reward with food. Um, right, you that's know, another so, really good one. You know, a lot of times you'll see, oh, if you do this, you'll get a cookie, or we'll go get some ice cream, or, you know, you get the shot at the doctor's office, here's your sucker. Um, you know, if you come to see me and you get your shot, you get a sticker. As, and kids are just as excited about their sticker as they are their sucker, uh, usually. Now you get a couple that get... <laughs> They look at you funny, like, where's my sucker, lady? <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's just about little small changes that are going to trickle um, into adulthood for them. Right. So we hope that helps a little bit, Lisa. And please do go check out that curriculum online um, at southernremedy.org. Uh, and we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Phil in Gulfport. And if you want to give us a call, our number is one 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And we're talking about nutrition factor fiction today. And we've had a lot of great callers. And now's the time if you want to join in our conversation to give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And before we went on the break, uh, we were talking all about, you know, different ways to get more fruits and vegetables in your diet and why that's a good thing and how to feed little kiddos who may be picky. Um, who are, are picky. Let's not say maybe picky. I've never met a little little kid who doesn't have some kind of uh, quirk to them about food there. My youngest is the quirkiest out there. I call him a, a vegetarian who eats no vegetables. So he's really just a carbitarian. He just <laughs> likes his carbs. And uh, we've got a call from Phil in Gulfport that we want to get to. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. How are you? Um, we're doing very well, thank you. Good. What can we help you with today? Um, I'm my son-in-law has had trouble with uh, type 2 diabetes in the fa- fact that he overproduces the insulin. Mm-hmm. They've, um, he's in surgery right now to have a vertical sleeve gastrectomy as well as a bypass. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that Work. <laughs> well, you know, so I'm, I'm happy to hear you say he's having the sleeve done because that is um, the procedure that, that I like the most. I've seen the best results from, you know. Um, I've in, actually had one. Yeah? Yeah. Doing okay afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. knocked out any problem. Yeah. So, you know, we used to just think that it was the change in the volume of the stomach. You know, it was just we made the stomach smaller, so you eat less less calories in, weight loss happens. And of course, there's some of it. But you know, there's a lot of good research going on right now. I'm actually um, friends with a a lady who's doing this type of research right now. And then it's not all just change in stomach volume, that it's actually changing of gut hormones that are going on that actually work on the insulin resistance and that type of, of situation that's going on. So it's not just a, a volume reduction procedure. Right. It is an actual change in, in gut chemistry that is going on there to help with the chronic diseases that you're mentioning. Now, you know, it's a big old interplay as well, though. You know, as you lose weight, the insulin problems are going to decline as well or or kind of reset almost themselves so it's it's such a complex issue that there's not one thing i can say this is why it works um and i don't think anybody can at this point say this is why this works we just know that it it does uh work and it can be a valuable tool in helping people uh, get control of these chronic illnesses now i will say this to um phil and you probably know this but i've seen a bunch of patients in my career who've been able to out eat or stretch that small pouch of their stomach again because they went back to their old eating habits gradually over time you can you can stretch it back out and you can gain back all your weight so it's not a magic bullet in that you can just eat whatever you want it's going to take that commitment that I am changing my eating habits and I am changing my lifestyle from now on for it to continue to be successful or for you to have the maintenance. All right. Well, I've learned a hard lesson because I had the gastrectomy and I've lost a hundred pounds, but I've gained back 40 of it. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's the volume. I mean, I sit down and I can eat a quarter of a 
regular hamburger and I'm full. Right. Uh, but 30 minutes later, I'm starving. Mm. Yeah, and and so you know, incorporating a lot of the behavioral kind of things that we teach with diabetes, like you know, trying to 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 deal with stress appropriately, trying to get your physical activity on a regular basis, and just it's it's a big picture lifestyle change in order to keep it off. And I think that's a lot of times the toughest part is, is you know people. We have habits that we've had for all our lives, and changing them sometimes is really difficult or can just take a lot of concentration. And it's easy to think that perhaps I can just rely on this surgery that I had and it'll do the trick. But you're right. You have to kind of keep on top of those habits and those those lifestyle issues that that are true for everybody. And, you know, what I recommend is there are dietitians who work specifically with with bariatric patients or metabolic weight loss patients. And really, they are the rock stars of this team, because while we want everybody to eat a healthy diet, there are some changes that are specific to someone who has undergone a sleeve or, you know, some type of um, gastric bypass type surgery, because there are foods that are going to provide you with the most nutrients and keep you full longer. And there are foods that are just going to swell up in your in your sleeve and make you feel full, but are going to digest relatively quickly and make you hungry again. So, you know, while if a patient who maybe has not had um, a gastrectomy, you know, we're talking about whole grains and, you know, the type of healthy carbs that we want to eat. But in reality, a piece of bread, even with the whole wheat bread is going to swell up in there and distend out that sleeve and make you feel full, but it's not going to hang around for a very long period of time. and You're going to be hungry later on. So it's more about getting in lean protein um, and the vitamins and minerals that you need before you have like bread or some or rice or something like that. So it's a little different, mm-hmm. little different eating pattern that has to go on in someone who is, is post gastrectomy. And it really takes that dietitian who works yeah. with those patients on a, on a daily basis to get yeah, that done. That's not my expertise. I, yeah. I, I, I am. I love the diabetes piece of it, but um, there are dietitians that, you know, have done this and, the, and it'd be great for you to kind of see if you couldn't locate one um, in your area or at university mm-hmm. or somewhere and see if you could, you know, if you need some questions answered, I would I would definitely encourage you to do that. Well, I probably know 20 to 30 people who've had the sleep mm-hmm. and the success rate is quite low. Uh, Two years out, most of them. Yeah, it all goes into the the psychology behind the lifestyle change as well. So, if you would like some more information about bariatric dietitians in your area, I'll be happy to send those to you. If you just send me an email at fit at npbonline dot org, I'll be happy to push that information out to you, Phil. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you, you, Phil. All right, quickly, we're going to go to Bill in Memphis. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How are things in Tennessee? Oh, well, they're doing okay. I'm sitting here waiting to get a load to get on out of town over to North Carolina. All oh, right. Well, I, I um, I've got, I've, I've got, I started out with a double hitter, but I think it's turned into a trifecta. Uh oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lay it on me. Okay. Uh, the the double hitter is uh, regarding my stepdaughter. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. She um, has always had a problem with weight. She had a gastric bypass, 
and uh, really didn't do all that much for her. And she's pretty diligent about her diet and everything. And uh, she, in fact, if she eats too much, she ends up getting sick. Mm-hmm. So that's not a good thing. So she really watches uh, how much she eats. But uh, she, um, uh, I'm, I was hearing y'all talk about the sleeve, mm-hmm. and I didn't know whether she could have a sleeve uh, done after a gastric bypass, and what would they have to undo the gastric bypass in order to do that kind of stuff? And also, uh, is there anybody? Uh, I mean, is there any possibility she might have? a problem uh, chemically uh, that uh, would cause her problems with her lack of ability to lose weight. Okay. And she's gaining slightly, but not a whole lot. Okay. So, you know, without knowing the exact kind of bypass that that she had to start with, you know, I don't know exactly what the process would be for her to have a sleeve. Um, What I would recommend, are y'all... Oh, y'all live in Tennessee or y'all here in, in Mississippi? No, we, we live in Olive Branch. Okay, you live in Olive Branch. So, you know, we have um, at the medical center, we've got kind of free informational sessions that they put on about bariatric, about our bariatric program and the different types of procedures that there are. And those, if you go to our website, if you just go to UMC's website and go to the bariatric page, those would be listed there. And that would be a good place to start with that question because honestly I just don't know um, if we've had a past you know bariatric procedure what the protocol is for the sleeve after that the second the second part of your question was could there be something chemically going on well anytime we have someone who has either they're gaining weight or they're having difficulty losing weight and we look at their their lifestyle pattern and it's generally pretty good um you know we start to think is there something else going on and we start to look at those things you know do we have an insulin resistance problem do we have a thyroid problem something like that going on because if someone has hypothyroidism that does tend to slow down metabolism and can make it while not necessarily gain a ton of weight it can make you make it hard for you to to burn that those calories and lose uh, weight. Um, so those are all important metabolic tests that we look at when we're evaluating someone um, for, for that's having weight problems. There's also a lot of new science out there. You heard Josie mention perhaps uh, um, the gut bacteria, the gut microbiome, and we're learning so much about how the different healthy bacteria help you metabolize um, food and and move food through the gut faster and the different inflammatory kind of changes that can happen with the overgrowth of the bad bacteria. And so you sort of have this whole nother world that, that we're just really learning about in nutrition. And that can make a big difference in terms of weight and diabetes control and cholesterol and all these other things that we kind of used to think just depended on the food you ate or that are your genetics. And now we know that there's a whole nother, you know, billions of bacteria in the gut that could be driving the bus. And we didn't know that. And, and so there's another you know, option for sort of investigating is, um, you know, are, are you getting those healthy bacteria 
feeding those healthy bacteria in the gut and are they the dominant species as mm-hmm. opposed to the more unhealthy bacteria in the gut. So there's there's a lot of different factors that go into someone gaining weight. Mm-hmm. It's not just calories in and calories right. out. That's what we used to think, but it's and we did not. think that. We were sure about that. And, I mean, we do know if we if we consume too many, way too many calories, <laughs> that they're, we, we're going to gain weight. But it's more complex than that. Just cutting right. calories is not going to do it. Now, Bill, for the the kind of metabolic evaluation that you were talking about, you know, is there something chemically going on? The place to start would just be with a good, you know, family medicine physician or nurse practitioner, internal medicine. Both of those would be the kind of the starting point for having that evaluation done for her. Just a good general checkup and overall wellness panel um, done for that. Getting insulin levels and um, getting thyroid levels and all that kind of good stuff would be the place to start from that. And then um, calling and speaking with uh, our bariatric center uh, here just for information, not saying you have to go to our bariatric center. There are other ones that are fantastic as well. But I do know that we've got some free informational sessions that we have um, available. And if you want to send me an email uh, at fit at mpbonline.org, I'll be happy to send you the schedule of the upcoming informational sessions. Okay. And uh, you answered pretty much my other question about who would uh, one need to go to uh, for the thyroid test? Well, there um, you go. <laughs> and and it's, I, I don't have any problem lose, losing the weight necessarily, but I've come to a plateau, and I'm wondering, uh, could I have an issue with my thyroid on me? That, it's so, possible, but I'll also say this. Um, it sounds like you're a truck driver, and you sit a lot. And one of the new things we're also learning in that is that sitting is is really not good for us. <laughs> and so um, I know I know you have a lot of times that your your load has to be somewhere at a certain time. But if you can get about ten minutes of walking in every hour or so when you're on the road, I mean, even if you just jump out of the truck and run around the truck a couple of times, we know that sitting has an, a, a big impact on weight and. It's tough to get off that plateau without changing that physical activity. Sometimes that's the the nudge that we have to have is a little bit more physical activity to kind of hop over that plateau there. So, Bill, I hope some of those things helped you, and I hope you'll send me that email, and I can give you some more information as well. And thank you, Kathy, for being on the show with me today. I always enjoy being here. I always love it when you're here, and we had so much information that we didn't even get to, and so that means that I'll have to have you back so that we can do it all over again. And uh, thank you so much for our listeners and our callers who make our show what it is. And thank you for listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 